to turbocharge your online presence and unlock the true potential of your website's digital journey with their frictionless experience. This podcast delves deep into the world of user experience to help you eradicate costly friction. Join us as we dive into website and mobile app optimization to explore how refining your digital playground can become a game changer for your business. This is the Frictionless Experience, brought to you by Blue Triangle. Hello and welcome to the Frictionless Experience, the place where we lay waste to digital friction. I'm Chuck Moxley. And I'm Nick Palladino. On today's episode, we're going to talk about how companies are using data to transform their users' digital experience. Our guest today is Joe Walker, who is head of MarTech Testing, Analytics, and Data Platforms for Corporate Marketing at Equifax. Joe, so glad to have you here. And seriously, how do you fit that title on a business card? Oh, uh, well, uh, thanks for having me, by the way, guys. Um, I uh, don't have business cards, and I'm a little guilty of that being my former title, Um I'm now that I was in corporate. I worked for the last three CMOs we had at at Equifax in the corporate world, and and I was in charge of Martech, and I started a testing program for the B two B side, and I was in charge of analytics too, which is essentially we'll call it website analytics, um, or digital analytics. But uh, then last year I did move over, and I haven't changed my LinkedIn title. My bad. But uh, I'm back with the B two C side where we have, you know, most of our web activity, most of our digital activity. And I'm doing sort of my second uh, transformation project on uh, at Equifax. Okay, gotcha. That, that's, that's great to understand. Help us understand your team then and your role at Equifax today. So I've had several different uh, managers over the years. I'm trying to think what to say and what not to say. Been there five years. And um, now I... Uh, I guess I would describe it as, okay, so we've typically had this position of being um, thought of as the report people. Um, hey, where, where are my numbers? And, you know, I think when I started, we were order takers. And I didn't want us to be order takers because I think that's a really bad place for an analytics team. So uh, sometime after I left the first time, because I joined the B2B, B2C side, and I came back, I think we really now have repositioned ourselves. It took a while. But so our new position is no longer order taker and afterthought. It is, we are at the center of figuring out what our consumers are doing. Uh, We're thinking about, we have the standard metrics that everybody has. Uh, We currently use Adobe Analytics, for example. We are moving to Google Analytics. So I'm, I'm leading that project of migration. Um, but we are also introducing other platforms that give us more um, qualitative information about consumers. We're also blending information that used to be unblendable. So we're blending qualitative and quantitative. We're introducing, and this I'll get into more later, but we're introducing, uh, I don't know what to call it, performance-based measurements, also environmental measurements, not environmental as far as trees, but like what kind of, how do people behave within certain, um, certain experiences? So that was too long of an answer. The short answer is we are pulling everything together that we can pull right now into a single view of the customer that's, that really looks at customers in, a, in both a dynamic way 
in a very rich experience sort of way so we can deliver many, many segments and uh, many, many experiences to all of our various customers. Gotcha. And so let's level set. When we talk, and since you're on the B2C side, you're talking the consumers that are coming to your digital platforms. They're checking their credit scores. It's Is it that piece? It's not the businesses that are conducting credit inquiries? That's right. That's exactly. And, and I, I did misspeak there a little bit. Um, I called them customers, but they are consumers. And in our own parlance, we call them consumers. And that's, you know, you and me and everybody else checking our credit scores. We're disputing our credit. What else do we do? We can get our credit report. Uh, those are consumers, and that's who with whom I work. Customers are the B two B side of the business. That's where we make most of our money. But um, but still, you know, we have you know hundreds of millions of people that we have to serve. Gotcha. And your team is looking at that consumer experience when they come, and how do we make that more frictionless? Make that easier to get the information they're looking for, or conduct whatever transaction disputing a. a something, a problem on their credit, for example. That's right. I think um, understanding consumer journey is the key thing that we're looking at this year or just nowadays. And platform-wise, because I still do MarTech, even though I said I, I've moved on from that specific role, we, we, we used to have no platforms that could help us understand customer journey or consumer journey. Now we have three, and they each do something different. And I, I like all of them. So we're uh, if we don't have a better understanding of a consumer journey, it's uh, there's no excuse because we're well covered technologically there. So what do you really do with consumer journey type data? Like how, how do you take that and turn it into an actionable unit of, of work? Well, that's that's an interesting question because on one level, the question of what do you do is like, what do you do operationally? Like, well, do you create reports of that? Yeah, we do. Um, but I'm trying to get past just the report creation because people do have expectations of, of being informed. But really, and this goes back on the first question, but it ties into this one, we're trying to do something different. We are, we're trying to uncover unknowns and we're trying to convey that back to leadership, you know, in our case, the head of our business. And in doing so, we, you know, we formed a strategic business plan based on some of the findings we've had. So I can touch on that more later, but I'll, I'll stop there. Chuck, I think you had, you were going to say something. What's an example? You said an unknown. Give us an example of an unknown in that scenario. Yeah. So, you know, I was just thinking of the other day, I, I mean, I'm not the first person to think of this, but the old Donald Rumsfeld quote, you know, we have known knowns, known unknowns and unknown unknowns. I don't know if that rings a bell. I hope it does. Okay. Um, so what I did is I, I put a little framework together and I thought about what are we, um, what are we spending most of our time on? And we're actually are spending most of our time on known knowns. And that's like, where do people enter the site? Uh, what is our conversion rate? Is it going up or down? Uh, and we have a lot of details there. Like we can look at, um, you know, every step of the checkout funnel. And that's pretty standard now, but we can look at like form field interactions, like where did people get hung up at scale? Like where do they drop off? We, we can do that. Those are known knowns. An example of an unknown, well, you know, there are two examples. One that I thought of the other day was a known unknown was 
we know people get interrupted in their journeys. They do have friction, bringing it back home. They have friction in the journey because they might get this, uh, uh, well, I guess there used to be the phrase blue screen of death. We have our own blue screen of death, but it's, it's light blue. There still is. I actually just had my computer give me one just the other day. I had to replace the video. Card. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not even kidding about that whatsoever. Yeah. Well, um, I haven't had that for a while, but, but here at Equifax, at least we have these light blue screens that say, and they're any degree of, uh, detail. It's like something went wrong and it, that might be the only message you get, or it might be something went wrong. Call the call center between these hours. So we knew we had those problems and, and this is not my disparaging a call center. It's just that it, it does, it is friction for a person. And we know that they drop off. They're like, ah, screw it. I'm not going to do it. Um, so what we did is we used a technology to, um, you know, one of our platforms that we like is Content Square. So we used a pilot program there to capture the text on, on the website. And we knew that one of the keywords was, or key phrases was, call the call center or uh, temporarily, because you only get temporarily if it's unavailable. Or something like that. You, you get the idea. We capture that uh, that message and we um, we quantify it. We we know how many people we're losing. We can segment the types of users that we're losing based on any number of things, like what product they're trying to get, maybe how long they've been on the site, something like that. Um, and the next step for us is to, and by the way, we've also quantified the potential impact to the call center because they now know that okay, we're getting an extra 3,000 calls a month or whatever. I'm making that number up. But, but what we want to do next with this uh, known unknown, which is no longer an unknown, is we want to tie it together, website with call center. And that's just part of the journey we're on. Yeah, and you know, driving call center engagement down by having a more self-serve experience, that is approaching a frictionless experience. That's what we're all about. That's why we are doing this exact podcast. This conversation is all about driving that frictionless experience. Like I say, I've been at Equifax for five years. It took a long time to get here. We weren't equipped to, to do this a few years ago. Um, now we think we have the tech stack to do it. We think we have buy-in from executives that, you know, this is important and we've shown it's important. We've shown how much money we're losing potentially. We've also shown how much, uh, how many extra calls we're getting. The other example I had was the unknown unknown where another favorite technology we have, Blue Triangle. I think, I think you guys know about that. <laughs> uh, Blue Triangle. We, uh, we just were very surprised by the results of the revenue opportunity module or whatever you call it, the feature in the platform where, okay, we're tracking all interactions at scale, all of our users on site. Um, we can see their customer journey much like we can in a different format in content square, but we, uh, we can see which journeys relate, uh, result in a conversion. And that's a really handy thing, but then still, you're still eyeballing it and you have, you know, 25 various journeys that are, that are relevant. But to roll that all up, we're like, okay, we know there's some problem here and we've all had lighthouse for a long time. We know we have poor page performance. Um, I've done tag management for a while. I've used observe point, another great technology. 
So I, I know poor performance, but I've never, ever been able to relate that back to revenue. And that's why Blue Triangle is so important for us. Because we found one page in particular that was a total surprise where it's very sensitive to uh, slow loading. And it's, and it's not even really perceivable to me when I go to that page. But what, what we uncovered, this unknown unknown we uncovered, it was a shock that probably 75 or 80% of our revenue opportunity was on this one page. So now, you know, we've convinced our, our leadership, here's a problem. Okay. We wouldn't have known that before because it's average speed. But what we do know is the impacts, the impact it has on revenue. And so now we're going to fix that page and we're going to see. And then from that, we're going to do an A-B test. And we have, you know, a testing platform. We're actually switching it out right now. But, but um, yeah, so, so I think we've kind of orchestrated a lot of things together that allow us to really get that next level of insight on our performance. Yeah, and you're really talking about one of the um, really interesting parts that, that puts up a lot of those uh, I would have called them blind spots in the past, but I'm now going to call them unknown unknowns. It's really, it's really profound way to say it. These unknown unknowns are coming from, frankly, a bias of the engineers and the business owners of the platform because they have their own experience. I have a fantastic device with a great connection 99% of the time. How many of your users have that? on a regular basis. For the most part, it's not going to be as ideal as those that are creating the website. And that's creating a bias inside the understanding of that journey. And without properly collecting that information, be able to identify those those points in the data. It's all about data, right? And that's, that's why we're talking to you today. Yeah. And, you know, uh, one other thing I'll say, Nick, is that not only was this a surprise to us, but just the way uh, the site was configured over time, let us know that shockingly, this page, which really has nothing to do with new users going through the funnel, signing up for a first time, it had an impact on new user conversion rate, even though this page theoretically would be invisible to, to those people. Um, I could go into more detail here, but that was just a, a complete shock to us. And you know, I'm not going to tell you how much extra money we're planning to make, but it's it's sizable for our business. So this is a huge win if we can pull it off. And there's no reason we shouldn't pull it off. Gotcha. And you've talked about two ways of quantifying friction. In this case, that was lost revenue opportunity. The other was calls going to the call center, which is a cost, right, to the company. And 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 so and that's what it's taken. That's what you found has given leadership in the company. Uh, the impetus to prioritize this, to prioritize removing that friction is being able to quantify it? I would say yes. And I think um, for better or worse in analytics, what I always see, because I used to be a consultant and I've worked with, you know, over a hundred companies and I tend to see the same thing everywhere, which is uh, the ability to make more money is tantalizing because that's why we have businesses. And also there's this tendency to place ROI on analytics. I fundamentally think that's not the right approach. Um, we can make more money, but also we do have to consider things that are maybe less quantifiable. They're more um, intangible. Um, 
And there's a friend of mine, former consultant of mine, that I'm borrowing this notion of intangible from. But there is just an intangibleness of analytics that's very important, especially to customer experience, consumer experience, user experience. Um, so it's hard to measure the value of brand impact for bad experiences. So if we have 3,000 people, and I'm, I'm just making that number up again, it, I don't really know what the real number is, but if we have 3,000 people a month who get interrupted, and by the way, I'm one of those private citizens that got interrupted once, and it was on a Friday evening. No, it was Friday at like 5.30, and the call center closed at 5, and I was angry. And, you know, had I not had to unfreeze my credit. And then you decided <laughs> to go work for him and fix it. That's right. I put my money where my mouth is. But it, it was a compelling story. But But I think, you know, we can quantify brand brand allegiance if we wanted to we could but just overall we know that in general it's bad to have bad experiences and that's another thing we're trying to cure it's also a goal but it's hard to it's hard to run our business on that goal that's you know not exactly we don't have agreed upon measurements of that yeah. And something that's um, so fascinating that really Amazon has done to digital experience, everyone competes with Amazon. And I don't mean literally retail. I mean with the experience. Amazon is creating such a seamless experience for users that they go on and they expect on a regular basis that if they don't get that in any other vertical, they're starting to erode that brand confidence that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I think everybody probably, probably has their own anecdotal stories there. I've been a customer since probably 1999 of Amazon and I'm probably not unique, but, um, they're just, there's probably one example a week where like, I just ordered a suitcase as a gift for my niece. I hope she doesn't hear this before she gets the gift, but (laughs) I don't think she will, but it just, you know, uh, it just was easy. So I did it, you know? So, um, but that's, that's sort of a low hanging fruit example. Everybody has those examples, but yeah, we, we, um, compared to when I joined the company, we have much more of a focus on user experience now. Joe, can you think of an example where, cause you've talked a lot about data and how data is kind of helping to quantify all this and, and to understand and understand the unknown unknowns, right? What's an example of where that data, where you saw the data imply something that just wasn't believable? Like it was either too good to be true or too bad to be true. Can you think of an example of that where, you know, it took almost convincing that the data was accurate? I have an obvious answer. Oh, there's so many, so many examples where, you know, this is a larger theme. And Nick and I have talked about this privately, but there's this theme of unbelievability. You know, it's just, it's people just, if you're in a low trust environment one way or another, like if you just don't trust data or if you, I mean, I have a skeptical mind, but also at a certain point, you, if you set things up correctly and you know the capabilities and you know, like for, for, you know, practical purposes, you know, the formula being used, uh, you have to kind of trust the output. And several times we have had those outputs where um, one example and people are, 
if any colleagues listen to this, they might dispute this, but we did do a giant A-B test of our shared homepage because as I talked about earlier, we, we are a B2B company, but we're also a B2C company and we had a shared homepage. And for the longest time, it directed everybody to the B2C experience, which, you know, to the detriment of the B2B experience. So we tried our, our hand at a bifurcated like lander. Are you here to buy, you know, something for Bank of America or are you here to get your credit? That, that sort of thing. Um, the test we did showed that we did no harm to the B2C environment and that uh, the B2B environment would make X, you know, million dollars more a year. So, and that was a big number um, for, for the web channel. Uh, and people didn't believe it. And, you know, I think the only way to, to, you know, address that is to do more tests and we've done more tests and, and we got some different results actually. So, so there's that, there is the blue triangle example earlier that I had, um, that number of that one single page, the, the amount of extra money we would make. Um, so I remember telling Lance, the CEO of, of blue triangle, I told him what that number was thinking he would, you know, be aghast, but he didn't even blink. He's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Cause I know how much money blue triangle has made for other companies, but, but for us, it, it's a big number, especially if we consider uh, customer lifetime value, which is big for us because we sell subscriptions. We don't just sell transactions, you know, and we might, let's say we multiply the number by 10, then it becomes, that is a huge jump in our revenue. Just changing that one page. And people still dispute that number. So my similar but opposite, I, I had a, a data model that was implying such a huge number on a regular basis that I would go and present it to executives. And I would often be told something along the lines of, well, this is ridiculous. If it was this much of an opportunity, then we should stop doing everything and focus on this. And I, I would say, yeah, exactly. But then I'd effectively get laughed out of the meeting, get no priority whatsoever because they just wouldn't believe the figure. And so what I start, started to do, I would take that number and just multiply it by 10% and start presenting that. Now, all of a sudden, it was believable enough for them to buy into it and still significant enough for them to give me priority. So now all of a sudden, I have priority while presenting only 10% of the opportunity. It's almost like sandbagging for the for the better of the business. It's, it's kind of an interesting concept. Now where, where everything came to a really amazing point, I ended up running an AB test where I, um, I changed, and this is back when WebP was brand new, uh, but I changed the homepage content from uh, PNG to WebP. And that presented me with a 105% confirmation of the original opportunity. And I was just absolutely stunned, stunned because I, I, I had so much doubt that was happening because I was constantly let, laughed out of meetings effectively, not literally, but effectively. And just so many people were trivializing this opportunity. But when I then can turn around and say, hey, I now have an actual AV test that proves this. Let's go forward with this. Let's see what we can do. And of course we did. And we validated that result. It was one of the like big aha moments for, for me as an individual in my career that this is the right thing to be following. Do you know which friction points are hurting you the most? Finding friction with your current tech stack is a good start, but monitoring and digital analytics tools only tell part of the story, leaving you with unanswered questions. 
only blue triangle quantifies revenue robbing friction on every page so you can prioritize issues and fix what matters most. Companies can't afford websites with maddening friction. Visit bluetriangle.com today and turn observability into profitability. To learn more or request a demo, visit bluetriangle.com. Yeah, we, you know, um, we sort of did the same thing. We, we sort of de-emphasized the amount that we thought we would make because I think people were, were a little afraid to be on the hook for that because then, then you add that to the books, that's expected revenue. We're all under a lot of pressure here. But what we did is we did cut that number down. Um, and what I found is I've never been at, laughed out of a room, but um, do you know that the book, I think of this book a lot and I read it in college because I, I studied, I was a biologist and I studied genetics, anthropology, biology. And and I had this one, um, I did cancer research in college and I did I had a mentor who recommended this book. And it's called the, and I hope I don't mess it up, the Structure of Scientific Revolutions by Thomas Coons. I don't know if either of you have read that. It's uh, <laughs> not me. And you must have ordered that one on Amazon <laughs> in '99. And this was written in the '70s. It, it's you don't really need to read it to get the main idea, which is the main idea is that science and let's call it something else, progress, much like progress in having a more frictionless environment, like progress of an analytics team. It doesn't happen in a straight line smoothly. It's graduated and it's graduated based on a lot of things with one being like old notions, like old wives tales or, or old ways of behaving or people, uh, let's call them scientists who have staked their staked. They've, they've like based their career on a certain theory and maybe they retire and maybe that's how we progress or maybe they fight it and they lose honorably. But, but what I found is that um, it was controversial and we've had some, I'm just going to say it, we've had some friction in our teams because um, all of a sudden this new insight is kind of stepping on some toes and it's, it's placing a microscope over some accountability that people might have. And, and I would say that more than anything, this kind of graduated like progress, it's, it's been jagged. And, uh, and my way of dealing with it is just, you know, just being an honest, try to be a good person and work with everybody. And it's a shared goal we have, but this is new information. Let's, let's do it. Um, so it's, but that, that has been something that I've experienced more so than the laughing, but but your number was probably higher than my number. So maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's, it's funny you talk about that political environment because I, I kind of straddled that environment on both sides where I tended to be the engineer that was talking to the product team and kind of the pass through to start. And then I ended up being shifting over to the product team. And then I ended up being the product manager that was sitting on the on the fence between the engineering team to be able to straddle that side. So like I sat on both sides and I, I effectively played both sides of the coin through my career. And it was such an eye opening moment of like how to navigate that political environment so that when I do have data that says your baby's ugly, how do I tell them and how do I make sure that it's their idea that they need to go fix this rather than me blast it in front of a bunch of executives and say, we should go focus on this. 
I need to get them to go present that to the executives to say, hey, we've been doing good stuff, but I can make it greater. Look at this. That's the way that we ended up finding a lot of success and being able to create that environment. And and in, in many times, it just meant that I just had to be okay with taking a side, a, a seat in the, at the table. At the, what am I looking for? Table, seat at the table? Riding the passenger seat, a side seat. I don't know. Whatever I'm looking for, you get it. Not being the focus. The rumble seat? Yeah, yeah sidecar. There you go. <laughs> We're going to ride a roller coaster together. Do you guys know the rumble Maybe seat some bikes. In, the, in the trunk in those 1930s yep. cars? Yep. Okay. I guess for rumbling. Right. <laughs> I, I, was in, I was in the pumpkin coach. Uh, side seat? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, organizations, I also think outside of my own current company about organizations, and I think about uh, interpersonal and intra-team friction and hierarchical organizations, I think, are struggling more with this. Uh, low trust environments. This is, I'm borrowing something else from Evan LaPointe. I'll just say his name. Uh, low trust environments and uh, how that can, you know, there's a reason uh, people, I think there's a reason people go to executives because the re- if their organization makes decisions from top down, uh, that's how you get stuff done. If you try to convince someone who uh, is used to like getting orders from top down. And I'm just being generic here. I'm not saying necessarily this about my own company now, but, but um, it just, that, that in itself is a struggle. It's internal friction that makes the user experience friction um, harder, uh, getting rid of friction harder. I've, I've just, I've used friction way too many times in this podcast. Okay. Uh, it's product placement for a word. No, you haven't. It's fantastic. <laughs> we, we love the word. It's our brand. <laughs> Almost as much as frictionless. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair enough, Chuck. Look at the marketing guy fixing, fixing me. All right, there we go. So, so we've talked a lot about consumer experience and, and what's going on, but uh, do you guys look a lot at competitive experiences? Are you looking at your competitive performance? Are you constantly watching your core web vitals to see your site versus competitors, or is it really all about the consumer, your consumer's experience? Yes. I think uh, there's a degree of what's the other guy doing, um, and I don't care because I'm, I'm myself. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what we should be doing for ourselves. My current company really does look at a few other competitors. Uh, one in particular, I think, gets a lot of attention. Uh, Blue Triangle has helped us with that, and we do look at Core Web Vitals. I'll tell you, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, nobody, I'm speaking generally here, nobody knew the phrase Core Web Vitals. But we were so invested in Google. Uh, I mean, basically, we have to use Chrome at the site, so we, we uh, at the business. So we, um, we know that SEO is very important to our business. So Core Web Vitals drives SEO. It also drives better experience. Um, so we do look at that and we look at maybe five to six players. Um, I would say we've noticed one in particular where we have some work to do. And it's been very, it's been very useful to have like that to point to because people feel like, okay, that's real. 
So let's, let's, let's not just be generically saying that we want to get better. Let's specifically get better in these areas on these pages. That's so yes, we do. We also look at just industry. I mean, I have a colleague who spends a little bit more time on this than I do, but, but, um, we have some other platforms that track industry, industry performance, and we can definitely see leaders and laggards there. But, you know, benchmarking does motivate our, our company. So you always want to be best. You always want to be, or at least on par. I do. I think something so interesting about competitive landscape for any brand against their own competitors is, you know, brands are competing for different populations among the same effective goal. And so when you think of it in that, in those terms, the experience that one brand needs may be different than the experience that another brand needs for the population they're targeting. There's always going to be some overlap, of course. But when you start thinking about it in, in terms of those different populations, you have to understand your specifics to be able to compete in your own population against your competitor's population that they're going after. And so when, when you start extracting that, where Core Web Vitals, and to wrap this right back into where you're going, where Core Web Vitals help us is to understand how those metrics correlate for the exact users that are coming to our brand. So as you understand that, you'll have the interactivity of the site, which is classically FID going to become INP. You'll have the stability, which is CLS, cumulative layout shift. Then you'll also have the actual response time of the site, which is largest contemporary paint. Google's done a really great thing. And honestly, it took them a long time to come to a nice, concise point that does actually mean customer experience. They tried for a long time to create time to interactive, which in practice was fantastic when you go out and you do a lab test with like synthetics. But when you try to measure that in a real user environment, there's a lot of interactivity problems with the way that that metric was designed that just ends up falling and not creating a full story. So that's why Core Web Vitals are coming in to effectively replace that because it gives you that full understanding of what's happening for my specific users. And that's so important. What a lot of people miss is that my users aren't the same as my competitors' users. You kind of assume that there are some overlap, but you, you just cannot say that they are the same because there's a reason why my brand wins for some people and their brand wins for others. And I just need to make sure that my brand wins for more people than theirs. Yeah, that reminds me of the term idiosyncratic. So, you you know, if you look at, you know, the yellow baboon and the olive baboon, they're essentially the same, but they are idiosyncratic. And they're the, there's a reason why they mate with one another and they don't typically crossbreed. So I think a lot in terms of biology and how it relates to us, but your point is, it's well taken. And only with a non-generic benchmarking tool with our own platform where it's been configured for us, can we answer those questions? So Joe, what do companies get wrong about digital experiences? Like what's a common belief that you disagree with completely and think about differently when it comes to digital experience? I think we each have our own stylistic approaches to what's compelling and what's not. Like I barely have to see any commercials anymore, which is nice. But there is a show on Hulu I like, and I'm a little too cheap to pay for the non-commercial version. So, 
So I see some commercials and I tend to not like them. Beyond those like differences in style that we have and messaging and like, you know, statements on culture, I would say as a digital team, I won't say it's something that I think people are getting wrong, but they just, I think people are, they're moving in this direction, but they, um, you know, frankly, I'm moving in this direction. I've been on this journey since about 2019, but, but, you know, I'm looking at CDPs pretty hard, customer data platforms. And really the real reason is I want to resolve the identity of, of the visitor I have wherever that visitor comes in. So if, if she has a Twitter account and she's also a customer, she also has LinkedIn. Uh, she also responds to an email. Um, I want to be able to know who that, that person is, wherever they come. And I think I'm not going to say that teams are doing this wrong, but I think what's coming very soon is this way of, of, of automating our activities at scale. So it's no longer a such a manual slow process of, okay, let's lop together a giant segment. Let's send out an email. Let's wait for it to come back. Let's reevaluate in two weeks. It's going to all be automated, hyper-segmented. And I think um, experienced teams are going to need to up their game quickly. And I, I'm working on that right now. This has actually been a great conversation. Two, two more. Uh, by the way, when it comes to digital identity, I know a book that talks a lot about that. That would be very good reference for you there. But <laughs> hey, Chuck, who wrote that one? And and what's it called for those listening in? <laughs> Somebody named Chuck Moxley and, and right. Gina Turner. Oh, look at that! Because <laughs> uh, that that was my whole world. An audience of one, exactly. Now that was my whole world for seven years. Yeah, hey, love it. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Hey, you're welcome. You're welcome. And but that whole idea of people coming and and they look like ten different consumers, but they're the same consumer. And what's that? What's that full customer experience? Totally get it. And I, I think people are aware of that, and they want to get there. But I think technologically and just how people work, they they don't quite know how to get there. And you know, it's it's a big effort for a company that moves slowly. So we're just going to have to be able to change our the way we work because because things will get better we will be will become more effective but people there there is that notion of who who moved my cheese ah, i mumbled that who moved my cheese and people get kind of in this routine of working and you know i got my stuff to do i got my list check in at nine check out at five at totally get it so so great conversation two more questions What's one takeaway for people listening today? If they do nothing else, what one thing can they do to remove friction? What's that one final thought you want to leave the listeners with? I haven't really spoken about this yet, but I think the way I am and the way I can be effective is I just ask a lot of questions, a lot of questions. Sometimes I verbalize the question. Sometimes they're just in my mind and I try to get answers and that active discovery and the active sharing. I think opens up a lot of opportunities for a company to to become building a more frictionless environment. So I think there's the the element of curiosity and just self-discovery which and then by the way sharing that's that's maybe a takeaway 
even though I didn't lead up to it. Gotcha. No, that's awesome. I, I always think of ABC, you know, always be closing is the old thing. I, I've always lived by always be curious. ABC, you know, always asking the question why and, and why, why does that work? Why doesn't that work, et cetera? So, well, Joe, hey, we appreciate uh, you joining us today for our first episode of the Frictionalist Experience. Now, where can listeners fo- follow you? Where can they find you, like on social media? Yeah, uh, I have, I've, I guess for those who are still listening and unless they jumped ahead to right now, um, you'll know that I haven't updated my LinkedIn for quite a while. I've had a bit of a backlash against LinkedIn. I mean, I, w- I started in 2005. So I've been, I'm an old timer there, but I just feel it's a little daunting right now. Um, kind of everybody just kind of goes after you and there's a bit too much humble bragging out there, but that really, I've also just with my own, you know, sense of privacy, um, I've just pulled back from a lot of, uh, social, social networks, social media. And by the way, the irony is I used to be in charge of uh, analytics for Adobe's social program called uh, called Adobe Social. Long time ago, it doesn't exist exactly anymore. But um, that was a probably a two minute answer to just simply say, begrudgingly, I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> so, so basically, you're saying don't reach out to me. <laughs> no, no. I, and and here's the thing: I'm I'm very much a people person, and I love I love this. I love talking with people one on one. It's just a bit much to handle an onslaught of uh, people who are known knowns versus unknown knowns. In this case, I love that concept. I really do. You know, it's not my concept. I just kind of put a little, put my own touch on it. I already know I'm going to hear that a lot from Nick now. Yes, yes, you are. (laughs) Um, But yes, no, it'd be great to hear from anybody on LinkedIn, seriously, even though I just kind of trashed it there for a second. But um, but that's probably it. And uh, my own personal branding probably stopped about five years ago. Um, One way or another, you know, I've had three kids in five years. That's, is that a good excuse? That's probably a good excuse but uh but let's call it linkedin i'd love to hear from people and by the way i am the original joe walker on linkedin there are tons of us out there probably twenty thousand. but linkedin slash whatever it is slash joe walker oh wow you got joe walker that's awesome that's classic that is classic i'm old school yeah Today, Joe shared how data and metrics can be used to identify and eliminate friction in a customer's digital journey. To recap, here are three frictionless ideas to take the smooth path to trust and loyalty. Number one, be aware of the unknown unknowns. Issues that were previously hidden but have a significant impact on the customer journey. Joe provided examples of how he does this at Equifax, by quantifying lost revenue opportunities and conveying that back to leadership. Sometimes data can seem unbelievable, but when it's collected correctly and tested, trust the output. It'll help create a compelling story on why to prioritize removing friction. Number two, benchmark your core web vitals and understand them competitively, but your user experience doesn't always have to be against your competitors. User experience needs to be good to your unique audience and what they require so you can provide them with an optimal user experience. 
the experience expectations of your competitor's population could be very different. Number three, understand your customer's behaviors and how they interact with your site. To provide a truly personalized experience, it requires knowing a customer's digital identity across multiple channels. With automation, you can give them a connected total experience. And one last thing, stay curious and question assumptions. It's one of the best ways to keep finding new ways to create more frictionless experiences for your customers. Okay, that's it. That's all we've got today. All right. Well, excellent. Thanks, Joe. And thanks for the listeners for tuning in to this episode of the Frictionless Experience. Remember to follow us on your favorite podcast player app so you can automatically receive notifications anytime we upload new episodes. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what, what you think and let us know what topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. And, uh, of course, you can always reach Nick and I on LinkedIn uh, anytime as well. So until next time, this has been the Frictionless Experience. Thank you, Joe. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on the Frictionless Experience. We hope you've gained valuable insights to fuel your digital success. Your frictionless journey is just beginning. For more episodes filled with expert strategies and a sprinkle of digital magic, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, keep optimizing, keep slaying friction, and keep embracing the frictionless revolution.